From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Most people don't fully understand the threat they're facing. We're becoming more aware and educated as both a society as well as a industry or a specialty. But I think many of us are aware that as recently as a month ago, one of the largest, most complex healthcare organizations in the United States, Scripps Healthcare, was totally taken down for over a month by a, again, a structured cyber attack. And I would say simply, if an organization with the resources and the complexity and the capability of Scripps can be taken down, anybody in the country can be taken down. That's Lee Holmes talking about the real threat that cyber attacks pose to medical practices. We'll hear more from Lee in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. It's all about you this fall. Accelerate your path to medical practice leadership. Be empowering, be influential, be exceptional, be a leader. Join us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Or you can join us for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit mgma.com slash MPE21 and register today. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, captures the patient story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput. Discover how DAX provides a better patient experience and eliminates afterward documentation. Visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution, can transform your organization. Our guest today is Lee Holmes, Chief Executive Officer of Intensive Specialty Hospital of Shreveport in Bossier City, Louisiana. Lee's here today to talk about cyber attacks and what practices can do to improve preparedness, enhance defensive positions, and mitigate financial risk. Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Sure. So first, give our listeners an idea about your background um, and also really what you've been focused on during these last, gosh, year and a half or so now. Um, well, as far as background, I'm uh, both a fellow in the American College of Medical Practice Executives and a fellow in the American College of Healthcare Executives, so that's a short way of saying I'm older, uh, <laughs> and I've spent a fair amount of that time um, in both academic medicine in integrated delivery systems at the uh, University of Texas systems in uh, both UTMB Galveston as well as UT Houston. Uh, and Baylor Scott and White, uh, 
about 10 years there, uh, balanced with uh, about 10 or 11 years in um, small and large private practice healthcare. Uh, I ran a, um, a small single specialty surgical group in uh, the suburban New Orleans area of Metairie, and I ran a very large, roughly 100 uh, provider multi-specialty group practice in southwest Louisiana, uh, predominantly in the region of Lake Charles. So rolling into what have I been doing the last 12 to 18 months, in addition to the COVID challenges that the rest of the United States and indeed the world have been facing, um, we got hit with uh, kind of a quadruple set of environmental problems. Uh, as most of the world knows, we got hit with not one, but two major hurricanes last year. We were hit by Hurricane Laura, a level four storm, which really leveled the city of Lake Charles. And then five and a half weeks later, we were hit by Hurricane Delta, which was a level three hurricane, which essentially took care of anything that had been uh, damaged but not knocked down or where repairs had started. So uh, a year to a year and a half later, the, the, the entire city and indeed the entire region is still in major recovery mode. If you look at Lake Charles today, uh, fully 50% of the structures still have blue tarps or black tarps on the roofs due to limitations in both equipment and people. So um, then um, we got hit with the snowstorm that a lot of the rest of the country got hit with a few months ago. And then about two months ago, we got hit by a major flood. So the Lake Charles area has been dealt more than its fair share of challenges. And so I've spent, like all of my peers in the healthcare profession in that region, a lot of time dealing with um, not only the regular COVID issues, but COVID in an environment where a lot of our physical structures that we use to protect us from COVID have been damaged. For instance, we built uh, a drive-through uh, aspect of our urgent care to protect both patients and patients from each other and our staff from potentially infected patients. And that was working great until it got blown into the next parish or county. So just an example of how the physical destruction has impacted our ability to successfully deal with some of the challenges of COVID. Wow. So that's what I've been doing the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing that with us. That went in a direction I wasn't expecting. So that's really interesting what all you've been dealing with and really your career path. Um, one of the things that we're going to be talking about a lot today is really about cybersecurity and cyber attacks. And so just to talk to you a little bit about that, just of you dealing with all kinds of different crises, is that where your wheelhouse is? Is it dealing with different types of crisis that occur? It just seems like going from, you know, really intense situations at practices to security breaches breaches to uh, hurricanes everything what's do you do you look for these things or do they follow you or what's what's going on there 
you know, if I answered that question honestly, I'd probably get into trouble because <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't say, but um, 15 years earlier, I was in New Orleans when Katrina hit. So oh my gosh! People yeah. are going to start start thinking that I attract hurricanes. So I, I'm not sure I want to out myself on on public uh, in public that way. But uh, I will say that it is not certainly something that I aspire to. Um, I, I'm not an, an adrenaline junkie. I think most of those folks work in trauma, freestanding ERs, urgent care centers, et cetera. Um, but I will say that I think that to a certain extent, I'm well prepared for it, not intentionally, but I have a, um, a military background and uh, basically as, as a warfighter and so I tell people in the healthcare environment when they start really getting stressed out, as long as nobody's shooting at you and as long as nobody's bleeding, there's really no reason to get stressed out. It isn't that bad. And I, I can say that a little bit in jest, but I do think that that background allows me to take a much more focused and steady approach to problem solving when there is a crisis. Um, and when I worked at uh, Scott and White, now Baylor Scott and White, we were the only level one trauma center within uh, hundreds of square miles uh, in Central Texas, basically the only level one trauma center between Dallas and Austin. And so we had major incident response drills every six months. And I participated in those. So that also, I think, lends a lot of ability to fall back on muscle memory and be able to remain focused and productive and an effective leader in a time of crisis. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you're you're going to hear me talk during the podcast today about you have to be prepared. And part of that preparation is practicing what you've prepared for so that when it hits, not if, but when it hits, you're ready to fall back on what you've practiced. Right. Yeah. And we are going to get very specific about a particular type of crisis, which is security breaches and the stress and, you know, financial situations that can happen there. But I, I wanted to ask you just because you deal with different types of crisis, um, Psychologically, what what does it take to just weather the storm? I know there are different solutions that you can take individually depending on what the crisis may be, but in general, what do you do? What is your mindset to to be able to handle things from a mental, emotional standpoint, no matter what the crisis may be? Uh, that's a great question, and I think Every individual has to approach this based on their own skill set and their own background. But for me personally, uh, it is falling back on both a philosophy of hope and confidence in both my own abilities and those of my team that I know that there is literally nothing that could be thrown at us that we can't overcome and constantly reiterating that to the team because there are team members that don't possibly have the same level of self-confidence, uh, especially your younger team members. But if you've hired the right people and you're training them and have given them the right tools, then you will be prepared. And reiterating that continually 
so that you are the voice of calm and the voice of confidence. That is the approach that I take because I know that as the leader of a group, they are looking to me to set the, you know, set the tone for how we deal with this. And if you're, um, if you're panicking, if you're approaching it in a, um, you know, the sky is falling and doom and gloom, that definitely uh, will affect people negatively and it will impact your ability to successfully overcome whatever challenge you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, and, is and I always make sure, especially in the physician environment, that my doctors are part of not only the audience, but part of the practice. Yeah, that is wonderful advice, Lee, and thanks for sharing that with us. So let's let's drill down then about uh, a particular type of stress, a particular type of crisis, and that's cyber attacks. Um, you're going to be speaking at MGMA's upcoming Leaders Conference. It's in San Diego in October. Your topic is major cyber attack, defense, operations, and recovery. So Give us that elevator speech. What is something that you want participants to take away from that session? I guess I want them to take two major things away. I want them to, A, understand how severe the risk is, and B, I want them to understand that they can substantially mitigate that risk by preparation across a number of areas and we'll talk about that a little bit today, uh, and I'm going to dive in it, dive into it a lot more uh, at both the in-person MGMA session in October, as well as the virtual session that's going to be broadcast in November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that then, because you had written in an earlier correspondence that Healthcare organizations are increasingly being targeted by cyber criminals via ransomware attacks. Um, what's going on right now? Or is this, was this a trend before the pandemic? I mean, paint a picture for us. Let us know what's going out there, going on out there, and how um, practices can better prepare and, and protect themselves. So this was going on well before the pandemic, well before we kind of reset our focus on virtual or telehealth. This has been going on for, I'd say, two and a half to three years, uh, specifically in healthcare. And the reason is it's simple and it's economic. It's all about the money. As I think many people know, the majority of cyber attacks are being um, organized as organized crime, criminal elements out of countries that we uh, frequently think of in, in adversarial terms, Russia, North Korea, and some of the former Soviet bloc countries where it's a lot harder for Uh, law enforcement to effectively rein in these activities. So, and in some countries, such as Russia, it's even state-sponsored, and it's being used as uh, a structured approach to weaken the United States. That said, within healthcare, 
it's about the money because if you go into, let's say, a retailer like Target or Best Buy and you steal their customer information, what you're stealing is essentially a patient's, a, I'm sorry, a customer's credit card. And with that, you get a very limited shelf life of the value of that credit card because as we all know the banks have gotten very sophisticated at determining or detecting fraudulent uh, activity on those cards and so they'll get two to four uh, expenses or um, actions against that credit card account before it gets shut down in healthcare we have a much broader selection of information. We have the entire patient demographic. We have, of course, we're, we're getting rid of social security numbers slowly and, and surely. However, we have the patient's name. Frequently, we have their relatives through guarantor information. We also have their address, their date of birth, and other key metrics, which it does not just allow them to take financial information if we have it. It allows them the keys to the kingdom to replicate that patient and go out and um, create new credit applications and sell that patient information for um, fraud at a much higher level. So our data is essentially has a, an unlimited shelf life and it can be used by anybody that they can sell it to its value is 20 to 30 times higher than data stolen from a retail merchant. Hmm. That is fascinating um, and scary too. I, I want to backtrack for just a minute here then, because you talked a lot in your background about, um, you know, running practices, dealing with all of that. And you've really honed in on this um, cybersecurity side of things. What led you to that? Give us an idea of that journey. How did you get fascinated with this? Did you have a background at all in IT or are you coming at it from a different angle than that? What Tell us that story. Certainly. No, I, I, I should have started with this disclaimer. I am not an IT expert <laughs> and I never um, started out wanting to be a cybersecurity uh, subject matter expert at any level. Um, like many people, I found myself here because I was a victim of a cyber attack. So um, I will just set the stage here uh, and tell the story. Saturday morning, about two years ago, I received a phone call at about 9 a.m. from my chief information officer, and he said, Lee, we don't know exactly how bad it is yet, but we know that we're having some irregular um, readings from our IT system and our servers. We believe that there is some chance of a, a cyber attack and we feel that you need to come into the office as soon as possible. And by the time you get here, we'll probably know more. So long story short, I ended up spending uh, most of the next 48 hours up at our offices working through this issue. Uh, we were indeed going through a major structured ransomware attack, which is by far the most common type of cyber attack. 
uh, and we engaged with the, I'll call them kidnappers, data kidnappers uh, for lack of a better term. Um, we elected, we, we had a serious conversation about do we or do we not pay the ransom? And we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, throughout the, the podcast here, but we elected not to pay the ransom. We engaged with law enforcement. We engaged with our local sheriff's department as well as with the FBI. Uh, they actually came into our offices. Uh, they pulled out um, servers. Uh, and throughout the next six months, I became a subject matter expert on cybersecurity. Uh, that was the beginning of the journey uh, where I discovered how poorly prepared we were uh, despite all of the steps that we thought we had taken, uh, and we learned how expensive it could be. And then, of course, I became very passionate about trying to share my experience with others to mitigate or minimize the chances of it happening to them. Hmm. Let's turn it to other practices then. So do the practices you communicate with um, and the practice leaders, do they fully understand the threats they're facing? Um, where are any maybe gaps in understanding the security threats versus what is actually taking place out there? Well, I think that the answer is that most people don't fully understand the threat they're facing. We're becoming more aware and educated as both a society as well as a industry or a specialty. But I think many of us are aware that as recently as a month ago, one of the largest, most complex healthcare organizations in the United States, Scripps Healthcare, was totally taken down for over a month by a, again, a structured cyber attack. And I would say simply, if an organization with the resources and the complexity and the capability of Scripps can be taken down, anybody in the country can be taken down. It really comes down to how prepared can you make yourself and can you make it hard enough to penetrate your organization that they move on to the next victim. Uh, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm more important than the next guy. I don't want this to happen to anybody. However, in a world where they have the tools that they have, if they want to get into your system, if they want to spend the time and the effort and the resources, there's literally nothing you can do to stop them. However, you can make it not worth their time. Again, this is a criminal activity about money. And they, just like we run our businesses based on return on investment, they are running their attacks based on return on investment. And if you can make it hard enough for them to penetrate you, they'll move on to the, to the easier targets, whoever those are. And so that is your goal. It's like that joke that you hear about running away from the bear. I don't have to be faster than the bear. I just have to be faster than my buddy. <laughs> so you just have to make yourself uh, a less appealing target. Yep, for sure. Um, 
let me ask you this then, when we talk about it from a financial perspective, what is the financial hit that practices face when, when there is that security breach? So again, it varies depending on the size and scope, but in general, the bigger you are, the more expensive it will be. The average cyber attack expense in the United States last year was $160,000. And it is growing exponentially. It's no longer linear. As recently as the beginning of 2019, the average cyber attack cost $12,000. By the middle of 2020, when we had our attack, uh, it was in, oh, I would, when I did my research, it was right around twenty-five to $30,000. Um, very quickly, they assessed that we were a larger organization and they weren't even willing to talk to us about any number uh, smaller than 100,000. Uh, the, the number that they quoted us was $200,000. Wow. Now, the ransom, if you choose to pay it, is the beginning of your financial expenses. The minute your computers go down, most of us who now depend on our computers to deliver patient care through our EMRs have essentially stopped being able to deliver patient care. Even if you revert back to well-established downtime procedures, you are probably not going to be able to enter orders. And so look at whatever your average daily revenue is and figure that you're probably going to lose anywhere from 50 to 100% of that revenue, depending on how well your downtime can allow you to operate without your computers. Uh, and on top of that, it really depends on how deeply they penetrate your system. If they just penetrate your EMR, you've only lost access to your EMR, which is certainly bad enough. But if they penetrate your servers, you're gonna be off the net. You won't have email, you won't have any ability to provide patient care in areas like imaging uh, or pathology where all of the clinical systems that we depend on to treat our patients are computerized. Uh, that includes areas that are like cath labs that use computers for imaging for all of their procedures. So you can literally be totally shut down. On top of that, there is uh, the cost of uh, compliance. So we'll, we'll go through this in a little bit more detail, but really the cost of compliance is going to be what it costs you to recover all of your data, what it costs you to rebuild your systems if uh, you elect not to pay the ransom. Uh, and by the way, paying a ransom is not a guarantee that you'll get your data back. Um, only 80% of ransoms that, that are paid result in full um, retrieval of data. In 20% of cases, even after you pay the ransom, the uh, kidnappers do not fully restore the system or your ability to restore your own system after they give you the keys uh, is somehow or another mitigated um, by contaminated data or other compromises that prevent you from being able to fully restructure your system. Okay. So when you 
um, when you have what's called a presumed breach, which is anytime you have a cyber attack, it's considered by uh, the OIG, which is the government's entity that is responsible for HIPAA violation um, management, if you will, uh, or investigation, uh, a, a cyber attack or a ransomware attack is called or considered a presumed breach. When you have that, you're required to notify every patient by first-class mail. So just the cost of mailing your patients, depending on the size of your organization, becomes costly. My database uh, had 350,000 patients in it. Multiply 350,000 patients times the cost of printing, um, enclosing in letters and first class postage, and it ends up being almost a dollar per patient. So add that on top of all of these other expenses. It can very easily, for a medium to large practice, end up costing you half a million dollars. All right, Lee, well, thanks so much for sharing that with us. So. I do want to ask you a technology question. I know you're, you said you're not a huge techie here, but um, we have seen in healthcare, it's transformed over the last year and a half or so with telehealth and virtual care. So I did just want to ask, we're looking at cyber attacks, cybersecurity. What role has technology played, if at all? Has there been a, a plus or a minus based on all the virtual care taking place. Give us an idea of that. So I would say that, as I said earlier, this was a major risk slash threat well before COVID and the expansion in telehealth. I'd say two things have happened throughout COVID that have largely offset one another, one positive and one negative. The positive side, is that because we are far more um, dependent on our technology to deliver telehealth for day-to-day -day patient operations in a virtual environment, we have had to get a lot more serious about upgrading our systems, and that includes our defenses. So that's the positive. The negative is that very expansion and dependence on our technology. If a ransomware was to occur, it would have an even more direct impact on the ability to deliver patient care. Now, of course, as we sit here uh, in mid to late um, 2021, COVID is somewhat on the decline, and we're seeing patients back in a regular in-person environment, much like we did before COVID. But if we have a resurgence again and we have to go back to seeing 80 to 100 percent of our patients virtually we'll still be at a much higher level of risk okay well that puts that in perspective for sure so let's look at it from a analytical standpoint what are some of the kpis what are some of the metrics that you would advise um, practices taking a look at uh, to make sure that, well, let me start that over. Let me start, hold on one sec. Let me start that over. I see I accidentally skipped over a question I want to ask. Lee, sure. we have been looking at this from not a negative standpoint, but we have been looking at the challenges, at the barriers, everything that's going on out there that might have a negative connotation. So being on the 
offensive side of this, what are some of the steps that practices can take to mitigate these threats and to improve preparedness? You know, that is maybe the most important question we should talk through, Daniel. They need to engage with an expert company to help them prepare. Just like any athlete has a coach and that coach's job is to, um, you know, instill improvement in them throughout their entire abilities. And part of that is finding their weaknesses and having them improve on those weaknesses. There is nothing that can take the place of a good IT partner that will help you find your weaknesses and improve those. So I would say reach out to some of the industry recognized partners and MGMA has some of those that they can help identify to come in and the, the first step is to do a risk assessment. Now, HIPAA tells us that we should be doing an annual risk assessment and they even have a full-blown checklist. But through the uh, experience of many of the companies that have been attacked through uh, these kinds of cyber attacks, the, the companies that are out there are far better prepared to help you understand what your actual risk is and then recommend what steps you need to take to mitigate that risk. And some of those steps include, you know, hardware improvements like firewalls. Some of it is software improvements uh, that are built into those firewalls or are part of your overall system. Part of them are software upgrades and making sure that you are on the latest patch of whatever operating system you're on, whether it's Edge or Explorer, you know, whatever those are, we all know that they have known weaknesses and they come up with patches roughly every month or so. And if you aren't putting those patches in place, you are willfully ignoring your own risk and you are expanding that risk every month because the bad guys are going after the people that don't have those patches put in place. And finally, there are people-focused steps you need to take. Part of that is education, uh, and part of that education can be brought about through targeted, um, I'll call them white hat attacks by, by your partner, where they will send in uh, phishing attacks and they will educate your staff on what a phishing email looks like and how to identify them and avoid them. So across all of those spectrums, hardware, software, operations, and people, there are steps you need to take to mitigate the threat, improve your preparedness, and it all starts with acknowledging the threat or the risk and bringing on board a focused, structured approach through a partner who has that knowledge and can help you uh, deal with your risks. All right. Well, Lee, I, I think that's a great way to close this. It really puts us on the right foot and provides some steps here. And I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in San Diego and sitting in on your session and learning more about cybersecurity and how to control and prevent some of these breaches. So thank you so much for sharing these thoughts with us on the podcast. 
Daniel, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in San Diego. We will have an opportunity to go in a little deeper and where I can actually ask point, uh, answer pointed questions from the audience. Uh, but I think you can tell my passion here is using my bad experience to help others in the healthcare industry avoid becoming a victim uh, like we were and having to deal with some of the negative issues uh, and costs that we had to deal with. If I can help anybody, it will have been well worth it. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Lee Holmes. Also, thanks to MGMA Leaders Conference and to Nuance for sponsoring this week's show. Accelerate your path to medical practice leadership by joining us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Visit mgma.com slash MPE21 and register today. And visit nuance.com slash DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution, can transform your organization. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.